Well, I guess it was this morning when Emily came in in a pink coat that I remembered that Valentine's Day is just a few days away. So this morning, uh, we're not going to talk about Valentine's Day. Uh, we are going to talk about fighting, though. So uh, I hit that right on the, right on the head. Uh, we're talking about fighting. And because fighting has such a negative connotation, we're talking about what it looks like for us to actually fight for the people we love. To fight for the uh, things that we have in our life that we believe God has given us. That all life is a battle. Everything is a fight. And, and a lot of us don't realize we're in a fight and yet we are. You're fighting for something. The next breath or uh, your relationship, your marriage, your friendships, your job, whatever. And the reality is everything that we know and love is, is at risk if we aren't fighting. And the way that we fight primarily is through prayer. That prayer is our weapon of choice where we, can, uh, can, we go to God uh, consistently, uh, putting forth before him the people that we love and the people that are in our lives and the people that have needs and wants and, and the people that are just people because people need things. And so we keep fighting on behalf of others. And two weeks ago, we talked about what it looks like to fight with purpose. The reality that so many of us are fighting without purpose, and so we're just aimlessly exerting a lot of effort and energy and strength, and, and it's only when we align our lives with Christ and we see what his purpose for the moment is for us that we fall behind that and we fight with intentionality. And then last week we talked about fighting with power, talking about the Holy Spirit and how we don't uh, have to... Uh, fight in our own strength, but the Holy Spirit will actually come in and give us the capacity, the ability, the hope, and uh, the strength to move forward and keep fighting and not give up. And how even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will actually come in and, and, and work on our behalf. And so we continue to align ourselves with the third part of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. But this morning, uh, I want to talk about what it looks like to fight to protect. What I've realized is that uh, when you're in a battle, you get beat up. You get knocked around. You get uh, banged up. And, and a lot of times if we're not uh, careful, we'll, uh, we'll get too beat up. We'll uh, find that over time, life has a way of wearing us down. And we realize in 1 Timothy 6 that our passage, it says, But you, man of God, run from these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to have and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. We realize that fighting the good fight of faith becomes challenging. When we're worn out and worn down and, and beat up and, and we don't simply know how to proceed, we find that it's hard to fight the good fight of faith and yet that's what we've been called to do. And, and we're in a fight whether we like it or not. Our weapon of choice is prayer. The power that we pray with is the Holy Spirit. But the battleground more often than not is for your soul. Lose your soul, you lose the battle. That the enemy wants to come in and kill, steal, and destroy you. And you and I, were made up of three things. We're made up of uh, heart, soul, and mind. You are the heart, soul, and mind. And we understand heart and mind because those are tangible things that, though we probably haven't put our hands on, we essentially could. Heart and mind are, are important, but the soul is kind of obscure. It's a little bit vague. When the scriptures describe that our heart, soul, and mind should all be in alignment and be pointed towards loving God, we understand what it means to love God in our minds, and we can have a good idea of what it means to love God with our hearts. That's your Valentine's Day uh, emphasis right there. But to love with our souls, what does that mean? To not be able to put our hands on the soul and not really be able to articulate or understand. We know all three things have to align, but what does it mean for our souls to be in alignment with God that unlike the heart and the mind, the soul becomes more difficult to define. 
And when it becomes difficult to define, it becomes difficult to realize when or if it's strayed. But every known religion in this world has a view of the soul. They're not all the same view. But every known religion has a view of the soul. And, and, and though they're not the same, everyone agrees that we have a soul. And I say it's less that we have a soul and, and more that we are a soul. That you are not a body that has a soul. Rather, you are a soul that has a body. Emily alluded to that in her prayer, uh, and, and maybe in the back room. At some point today, uh, it's two references for Emily, zero for everyone else. Uh, but we are a body with a soul. And, uh, and, and you and I don't always understand what it means. We know how to care for the body. Right? My wife is sick again today. She's been sick since Thanksgiving. Uh, when you care for sick people and you take it all on, uh, you just end up staying sick. But we understand what it means to get sick. A lot of you have been sick. This has been a hard year for sickness. I mean, I haven't been sick, but I don't know if there's wood to knock on. But it's hard. A lot of you have had a hard time. So we understand. You take some medication. You check your temperature. You drink a lot of fluids. We know how to care for the body. How do we care for the soul? For heart, mind, and body, and soul, heart, mind, body, mind, body, heart, and soul should all align with Christ. How do we care for one of the most essential parts of our lives in the midst of a fight, in the midst of battling, in the midst of petitioning God on behalf of others and for our own needs? How do we care for ourselves? That soul care uh, is a bit of a, a buzzword or has been a buzzword, but it's a little bit harder to articulate what soul care really is. The, the soul is the eye that inhabits the body and acts through it. And without the soul, the body is like a light bulb without a fixture to plug into. And a lot of people uh, go through life like a light bulb without a fixture to plug into. And we have the elements and we have the necessary pieces. We just haven't quite connected them. And so we're just kind of moving aimlessly. And some of us, even following Christ, just have not connected ourselves to God or over time, we become disconnected from God. And we're this light bulb without actually being lit up. And the soul ends up being this opportunity for us to uh, connect with God and to begin to illuminate and, and, and light. And, and when you're healthy, your soul is healthy, people take note. They see it. You feel it. You know you're operating. Even when life is hard, you're operating out of strength that you don't fully understand that the soul provides us with this compass or this guidebook to navigate the challenges that we experience and the soul is often under the greatest attack. That the enemy knows if he can attack our souls, that he can prevent us from fulfilling the purposes that God has placed before us. That the soul is all of who we are and encompasses our entire being. And so when our souls become corrupt or they become weary or they become uh, taxed, it begins to affect every other aspect of us. That the spirit is the heart, the will, the longing, the intention of the soul. And you're under attack and so we've been talking about fighting on behalf of others up to this point, but this morning I think it's important that we understand what it means to protect ourselves, to care for our own souls, that the soul is this centerpiece of our being, the essence of our living being, and so we have to uh, protect it. We have to guard it and ensure that it continues to be full and it becomes the wellspring of, of life. And in Mark eight thirty four, Jesus speaking, it says, summonsing the crowd, Along with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Now, if you've spent any time in church at all, you know this is a pretty easy, clear passage to, uh, to align with. If you want to follow Christ, this is what it means. Deny self, 
take up our cross and follow Jesus. Now, that's a more complicated thing to actually do, right? But we all agree that that's the thing we're supposed to be doing. So daily we wake, deny self, take up our cross, and follow Christ. And yet, if we were to look practically, how often do we actually deny self? I don't eat sweets a lot because uh, of, of my strange diet that I adhere to, but uh, I bought some cookies the other day that were gluten-free and dairy-free, and I ate the entire package in a day. So I can tell you the days I did not deny, my, deny myself something. You know what I mean? And we all have those days, and I'm not lying. I did that. That happened. I'm not proud of it, but it just did. And, and there are all moments where we don't deny self, and we can easily and clearly see where we could have denied self, and yet instead I consume. Now in that moment, that was soul care for me, so don't judge me, but what I know about us is that we find ourselves immersed in unhealthy activity by not denying ourselves and by following our own whims and our own desires and not aligning with Christ. And so we do not take up the cross, but in fact, we leave the cross behind and move forward. This passage is quickly and easily describing what it means to follow Jesus. 35, it says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Verse 36, for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him and when he comes in the glory of his Father, the holy angels. Now this passage is, uh, again, very familiar and we often read this passage like we read every other passage with other people in mind, right? I love reading the scriptures for you. Not for me, but I read it for other people. And so often we go, well, you should deny yourself, you should take up your cross, and you should not fall in love with the world, right? This whole uh, whoever uh, gains the whole world loses his soul. Well, we clearly know who the scriptures are talking about. They're talking about the rich and the wealthy, we're talking about the powerful, the people with really nice cars that start the first time they turn them over and, and big homes and, 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 and large bank accounts, right? They're clearly describing people who have gained the whole world. So when we imagine what gaining the whole world would look like, almost inevitably what we do is go, well, that's wealth. That's clearly monetary things. And so what happens is we often look at that and go, well, this is not for me because even though uh, we're here and we all look pretty good and we've had food within the last 24 hours and shelter and clean water, we have not gained the whole world. We have a lot to gain. Some of you wealthier than others, but you haven't gained it all. And so this passage can't be talking to us that the scriptures say, for who, uh, what does it benefit a man to gain the world that loses life? Other versions would say soul. What does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? That theologians and biblical scholars believe the word life and soul are interchangeable. Life and soul are together. Life and soul, you lose one, you lose the other. They're together. What does it benefit someone to gain the world yet loses soul? The problem with viewing this passage is that we can lose our soul long before we die. There are people living soulless, passionless, purposeless lives here and now. Light bulbs not connected to the socket wandering around. We lose our souls long before we die. The other thing that happens so often is because we think this is just talking about gaining monetary things, getting more money, we don't think it applies to us. 
We think it applies to the rich and the powerful, the 1%, the 2%. The problem is for all of us, many of us, I would say all of us, I don't want to leave anyone out, we all have way too much of the world in our lives. We have, way too, we've, we have accepted and adopted and invited way too much of the world in our lives. We've accepted and adopted uh, news as entertainment now. You know, I don't know when that happened. At some point, it stopped becoming something that comes on TV and then now what we consume. We've all accepted and adopted way more stress and anxiety and fear and hopelessness than we ever should have. We have accepted and adopted the world's views on virtually everything. And so for all of us, we've allowed more of the ocean into the boat than we should have. And because too much is getting in, some of us start to sink what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? We often think gaining the world means all the good things. I want all the money and candy or whatever. And yet what we realize is that gaining the world can mean a whole lot of negative things. Stress, anxiety, worry, fear. And a lot of us have accepted some things in our lives that are wearing on us, weighing us down, preventing us from following Christ and thought, word, deed, and action. And because the water is in the boat, it's starting to get heavier. And what we do is we go reaching for things like cookies and sleeves, and we eat them all to try to feel something, to try to numb something, to try to get better, and it's leaving us more empty. When we realize that our souls are empty, we go reaching for a whole lot of other things that end up being things of the world. We end up being more empty. They deplete us because of the anxiety or the stress or the hopeless feelings. It ends up taking more from us. We put our hopes in all of this thing and it ends up uh, leaving us wanting more. And a lot of us are living and moving and operating and trying to fight with an empty soul. And we're trying to advocate on behalf of others and we're trying to be generous and we're trying to be faithful and we're trying to be loving and we're trying to be kind but we have no resource to pull from because we're just depleted. And here's what I've realized about life in my wise years is that life has a way of depleting us very quickly. It has a way of uh, stealing from us and leaving us feeling empty but our souls, they operate much like a car on gasoline. If we're not complete, continuing to fill our tank up, we end up running on empty. And what I know or what I've been told uh, is that if you run on empty often enough, it gets gunk down in the bottom of the tank, whether it's true or not. Gas companies probably tell us it is. got to keep putting gas in, and you get it in your engine, and you start running sluggish. I went Friday to get my oil changed, and... Uh, I don't know if I just look like a sucker, but people always try to upsell me. You know what I mean? <laughs> And uh, I kind of am, so in this moment, uh, they were like, hey, you know, I feel like you can get better gas mileage. It's like my ears go, oh, really? I mean, I have a V8. I need get better gas mileage. So uh, what you need to do is put this fluid and this fluid and this fluid, and we just happen to have it. And uh, we'll put it in your tank. And, and maybe it's true, you know what I mean? Time will tell. But uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess, man, you look like a mechanic, and I don't, so I'll take your word for it. And so uh, they put these additives in my tank, and I'm supposed to get better gas mileage. And uh, we'll see. I haven't noticed anything yet. But the reality is we are always striving to get more out of less. Everything. We want to get every penny we can out of a dollar. We want to get every little thing out of it. I want to pray and get every bit of power I can out of that prayer. I want to come to church and make sure that my service time here gets me all the way through the week. 
I want to get as far as I can on as little as possible. And so for some of us, this is the only gospel, this is the only scriptures, this is the only time with God that we have. And we're happy you're here, and, and I hope that it fills your tank, but I'm here to promise you it's not enough. This won't get you far. It's like going and putting 50 cents in a tank. It's like, well, it's going to get you home. Maybe the idea, though, is that instead of us filling up and running out and filling up and running out, what does it look like for us to walk with God, denying self, daily taking up our cross and following Christ that for many of us we've accepted so much that the world has to offer that it's left us feeling depleted and empty and we have become accustomed to cheap grace. So we shy away from obedience and discipline because we just want something quick and cheap and easy. I just want some additives to my gas so I get a little further along. And what God is inviting us to consistently is discipline. Cheap grace is grace without discipline. Grace without the cross. And what God wants to do is bring us into this reality that if we'll walk with him, then we'll walk full. That we'll walk with something to give and to share. That it won't, we won't have to manufacture love or manufacture forgiveness or manufacture grace. We won't have to force these things, but they'll just be exuding from us. They'll just be pouring out into the lives of others. Well, when we run on empty, we don't have anything to give. We don't have anything to share. We don't have enough grace or compassion. And when we live every day on empty and we have nothing left to give, we become jaded and we become cynical. And we become easily irritated and we become less forgiving. And there are a lot of things that take from us. The 24-hour news cycle, the constant uh, dinging of a cell phone, uh, television and, and, and movies, and, and the feeling of needing to keep up with culture, and on and on. There's a lot of things that take from us. There are people who take from us, soul-sucking people that you know who they are. If you don't, you might be one. There's this reality that we have people in our lives that, that just take and don't give anything back. And, 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 and I try to be mindful of every interaction being someone who gives a little hope or a little prayer or tries to give something, but there's seasons in my life when I have to be that. And I'm fortunate for people around me, but over time, we have to be people who give back too. We can't always be people willing to take. That there's a lot that can take from us. There's a lot that can deplete us. Uh, sin, more than anything else, will steal from us way more than it ever gives. The lie of sin, though, is that it, it doesn't hurt anyone. And the reality is it's draining your tank. You're filling your tank here, but there's a hole called sin in the back, and it's just spilling out. It's coming in and going right back out. And, and for us, we have to constantly be reminded that we willfully give in to sin without even thinking of the cost. And we might be depleted and disconnected and not even realize it because we keep this pet of sin around us and, and the enemy is tempting us, but the enemy can't sin for us. We're the willing participants in a life of sin. And it's causing greater harm and erosion than we ever had imagined. And God's intention for us is not to run on empty, but to allow him to keep filling us up, plugging the holes along the way, but filling us up so that we have so much to give. And we begin to see the effects of a life that is on empty, the irritability and uh, lack of generosity and kindness. And, and so what we do, instead of fixing the problem, is we go take care of the symptoms, right? 
we want to take care of this and this and this, but we don't actually want to get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is our souls are worn out. The things that we think bring gratification and fill our souls are things that just deplete us even more. And many of us are living on an empty tank, and, and these spiritual battles that we're encountering, we're losing. We're not gaining ground. We're actually losing ground because we're fighting with no uh, real power. But God's intention is that we operate out of a fullness a fullness of joy and mercy and grace and hope and peace. And, and these things just flow from us. That when we encounter people in our lives, we have something to give. We encounter someone, we can share a little bit of hope, share a little bit of joy, share a little bit of peace. That we're at our best when our souls are full, yet everything that we encounter in life takes something from us. It steals from us more than it gives us. And we have to be good about filling our tank back up, but many of us, we're not good at soul care. God's intention is that we face battles with a full tank in 1 Peter 2.25. For you are like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardians of your souls. I love this passage. You're like sheep gone astray. That's not a compliment. Sheep are dumb. Scriptures are saying you're like a really dumb animal, and you stray. You go off. But it's actually encouraging us saying, but you've returned back to your shepherd who's the guardian of your souls. I love the phrasing of this, the reality that God desires to be our shepherd leading us, guiding us, pulling us back, but also the guardians of our soul, the protector of our souls. What a great title, God the protector of souls. I love this idea that many of us, we don't stray practically. We stray right here in the room. Our souls are what's straying. Our souls are what's moving. Our souls are what is gravitating towards the world because the things of the world seem so elusive and exciting and life-giving, and yet they're not. And so our souls gravitate. Our bodies are here because practically and cognitively we know this is where we're supposed to be, but our souls are going, well, I sure wish I was here doing this and doing that. And our souls have strayed, but if we'll allow the shepherd and the guardian of our soul to bring us back into the fold, to bring us back to him, we'll begin to find that our souls become alive again. First Peter's describing Jesus as the guardian of our soul. And I wonder how many times in my life I get in the way of allowing God to be the guardian of my soul. See, what I do often is I go, well, I've got this. I know what I'm doing I'm a pastor, you know, so surely I should know best. And so I'm going to go over here. And not only are we sheep, but we're not self-aware sheep. I tell my kids all the time, you can be dumb and you can not have self-awareness, but you can't be dumb without self-awareness, right? You got to pick one because if you're both, you're dangerous. You're dangerous to yourself and the people around you. We can be dumb, but we have to be aware that we're dumb, that we don't know what's best. And so we have to find God who does. Or we can be not self-aware, but we gotta be smart and stay with Christ. And so we're dumb and unself-aware. We stray so often because we think we know what's best and we invite God to go with us. Hey, I'll carve out this path. You can follow me. And yet God is saying that's not the best way to go. You're not capable of leading and guiding your life and yet you think you are. And I wonder how often I keep Jesus from guarding and guiding my soul. He's trying to be my shepherd and my guardian and yet I'm not a willing participant. Stubborn. Arrogant. And I'm suffering for it and the people around me suffer for it as well and I think that we as God's people owe it to ourselves and we certainly owe it to the people around us to allow God to move us and to guide us to direct us and to protect our souls because God's intention for us is that our souls be well. 
He wants us to be well. Soul care is about finding wellness. It's a holistic approach to finding uh, wellness. It's, it's just as much working out and uh, eliminating junk food as it is uh, you know, fasting and praying and, 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 and focusing on Christ. It's, it's a wholeness approach to life, but God is inviting us into soul care where we find that our souls are no longer depleted, the patches have been made, and now we're able to be filled with more of Christ and the wellness of our souls come not from more spiritual activities, but they actually come from understanding of who God is and what he's trying to do in our lives. As the guardian and the shepherd of our soul, that it's less about a 15-minute devotional and more about what we do with the other 23 hours and 45 minutes. Like, what are we doing with our lives? How are we spending our time? We can wake up every day and have a 15-minute devotional, but spend the other uh, time, a waking time, uh, doing whatever we want and find that it's not enough. It's 50 cents on the gas tank and it's not getting us by. with it. We'll throw some additives in there. Uh, I'll, I'll sprinkle in a little of this or that. It'll get me through. And God's going, that's not enough. We're operating out of depletion and we have to arrange our days in such a way that we're experiencing deep contentment and joy in God. But a lot of us become so depleted that we get used to that, right? It's like eating. If you uh, don't eat for a while, you fast for a while uh, from food, your, your stomach gets angry. It's mad. It's audibly making noises, griping at us. But over time, you get used to that, right? And you just kind of becomes the norm. And, you know, I can't believe I skipped a meal. I would never have skipped a meal. But your body gets used to it because it keeps raising and lowering to what we do for it. Our souls become much the same way where we just keep operating on a depletion where we just get used to that. That's just how we do it. I don't have anything to give you. I'm just used to not having anything to give you because I'm always operating out of depletion. But I believe there are very practical ways that we can actually care for our souls. There are things that we do in our lives, many of them are just natural things that we're already doing that if we'll bring God into those things, we'll find that they become soul care, they become nurturing. So you might love to cook. I'd love to meet you, you know, we'd love to hang out because I love to eat. And so maybe you love to cook and, and that time that you're spending in the kitchen, it could just be cooking. Like it could just be putting ingredients together to make something that ideally tastes good and people love. Or we bring God into those moments and all of a sudden what becomes a mundane task becomes soul care. I don't love to fold laundry, but that's become my default job in my house. It just has. And so uh, I've found that I can get mad about it, right? And I've done that. I can gripe. Or, or I can invite God into that time and that folding laundry all of a sudden becomes something that's life-giving, it's not a task that I have to check off a list. I've got to hurry up and do this so my kids have, you know, folded clothes to toss on their floor and not be folded anymore. I'm not bitter. I'm just saying uh, that's a time now with me and God where I could have, you know, tried to carve out 20 minutes to do a devotional or I could just look at the daily rhythms of my life and go, where are you at, God? How can you meet me in this space and in this time? And, and sometimes it's about going for a hike and getting in nature and doing things. But more often than not, I've found that soul care is best when it's just a part of my daily rhythm. Where I just look at what I normally already do and bring God into it. Recognize God's already there. And so what are we going to do today, God? I'm going to fold laundry for, you know, three hours. So uh, maybe I spend time with God for three hours, right? And, and so we find soul care in every aspect. It could be life-sucking, though. I could spend the whole time folding going, are you kidding me with these kids? Why do I have so many? Like, they could be bitter, and, and I could be angry, and I've done that plenty of times. Uh, but what does it look like for us to change our habits and our patterns? 
to begin to see God working and moving in our regular lives. Uh, soul care may come from disengaging and, and shutting off, and it may come from accepting and adopting, but what I know is that we have a responsibility to be mindful of the things that we engage in, the things that consume our time, and the things that we willingly allow to inform our souls. Mark 8 says, for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his soul? What does it benefit us? To be in the know and to have all up-to-date information and have the laundry folded, yet have not spent any time with God and we lose our souls in the process. Part of soul care is that we're carving out time in the season where we're tending to ourselves. This conversation has uh, almost exclusively been about fighting for others and at this point we shift a little and go, what does it look like to fight for self, to protect self? To get well and prepared for the battle again. If all life is a battle, then we've got to prepare for the next one. We've got to heal from the last one and, and get ready. And so we take a soulful pause to go, I want to take inventory of my life. I want to see what I'm lacking, what I need, and what I want God to do. And then I'm going to spend a season to actually intentionally create space for God to do his best work because none of us really stop. We just keep moving. Our souls can't catch up. And so there's a season in the liturgical calendar, in the Big C Church calendar, called Lent, where it is a season where we allow our souls to catch up to the pace of life that we've been living in. Fortunately for you and I, Lent starts this Wednesday. It starts on February 14th, so it's actually Valentine's Day this year. So Lent is a fascinating, beautiful opportunity for us as Christians to pause, to carve out space and time, and to fast to sacrifice, to deny self, to take up our cross, and to intentionally continue to follow Christ. Lent, uh, by definition, is the word spring. And a good way to look at it is Lent is a spring cleaning for your souls. Uh, so we have a, a garden, it's a small like island garden with these big rings, so it's like a raised bed garden. And, and I've noticed because of the winter Every year in the rain, the, the soil is just hard, and there's only thing that can grow out of the hard soil are things you don't want to grow. And so uh, I noticed just the other day, I'm like, that somebody's got to care for that. I know who that is, but somebody's got to tend to that. Uh, so here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get, you know, the, the rake out or shovel or the hoe, and we're going to go to work. We're going to till the garden, right? And we're going to break up that hard soil, and we're going to turn it over, and we're going to bring nutrients into it, and we're going to turn it over some more, and we're going to pull the weeds out and turn it over some more. And it's, it's, it's hard work. We've had larger gardens, so it's been harder. But it's hard work. It's laborious, and a lot of us, we don't want to engage in it. But in order for us to have life come and, and, and life-giving things come, We've got to tend to the soil. The same for our souls. If we want something to be planted in us, which we ask God to do, plant something beautiful in me that can be life-giving to others, we have to tend to our soil. It's hard work. It's discipline. And part of Lent is actually being disciplined enough to say, I am giving up something good to lay hold of something better. Fasting is all about giving up the good to lay hold to what's best, to what God wants for us. And fasting comes in a lot of different forms. Some people adhere to the Daniel fast, or uh, they'll fast a certain meal, or they'll fast sweets. Uh, one year I gave up coffee, uh, not like because it was just a drink of caffeination, but I roasted beans, and I spent a lot of my time preparing a single cup of coffee, uh, grinding it in a specific way and brewing it a certain way, and it was a large part of my day just for a single cup. And so giving up coffee for me was giving up a big portion of my time. 
For you, that might look like something else, not laundry. It's still got to be done. But for you, you might want to find something that is consuming in your life, that's time-consuming, that's not giving you something back necessarily, but it's taking from you. And over uh, the 40 days of Lent, we fast those things and replace them with something godly. It's not just about giving up the good. That's a diet. And if you want a diet, I'm not here to tell you to, you know, so don't find me later. But if you want to, that's fine. That's a diet. Fasting is giving up something good to lay hold of something better, replacing it with something godly. I'm going to give up a meal. And instead of preparing that meal, eating that meal, and cleaning up after that meal, which at my house is like a three-hour process, I'm going to spend that with God. I'm going to spend that time with God and I'm going to uh, have a devotion or I'm going to have a prayer time or I'm going to do this or that. And and so part of what I'm telling you now is we got to prepare. So if you want to give up caffeine, you might want to find like a a green tea to drink. So you got to go to the store and get that so that you're now there and you got to get the devotional or you got to get your time set aside. So as we prepare, fasting actually becomes uh, a little bit of an easier uh, sacrifice. But I'm inviting you into fasting. In the liturgical world, uh, we fast for 40 days. If you do the math, it's 40, I think, six days till Easter. They don't count Sundays. So I typically will fast Monday to Saturday. And then Sunday's a feast day. Sunday's the day I partake in uh, whatever I've given up and I uh, appreciate and, and, and relish in what God has provided or given. And so uh, you may give up a certain meal or a certain drink, but Sundays you enjoy that, knowing that every good and perfect thing comes from heaven. And so Sundays we break fast. Maybe for you that's more difficult and you want to just stick with it and you stay uh, through now through Easter. But here's what I know about fasting during Lent is that it's very soul-enriching. It's tough, It's hard at first, just like tilling soil is challenging, but it's necessary for us when we begin to fast and we uh, lean into the season of Lent. It's about dealing with things that we haven't been dealing with. It's about wrestling with some of the uh, sins and problems that we haven't uh, haven't been dealing with because we've been too busy and we just put it aside. But this Lenten season is time for us to deal with those things. And it's less about getting something from God and more about getting to know God better. It's the turning over of the soil, inviting God to bring in nutrients and enrichment so that when he plants something beautiful, it can grow and thrive. And ideally, he plants something beautiful that grows and thrives and provides for others as well. So as we're uh, planting, you know, vegetables this spring, We know those are vegetables that can be given to others to bring nutrients into their life. For you and I, when we till the soil, we ask God to plant something. What is it he's going to plant that you could give to others? But here's what I know is that a lot of us have some hard soil. And this season's been tough. Winters are hard here, and practically and spiritually. And so what does it look like for us to go over the next 40 days and just have our soil tilled? Inviting our great gardener and and guardian of our souls to come in and protect us and watch over us and prepare us for the joy and the celebration that is Easter. But not just Easter Sunday, but the season that that follows, that there's life that springs up on Easter Sunday that ends up carrying us forward. And so I'm inviting you, uh, starting on the 14th, to uh, join with me um, as as we follow Lent together. I'm not going to ask you to be rigorous or uh, dogmatic about it. This is between you and God. Fasting is a very uh, personal thing that you do. In fact, scriptures say you're not to go around bragging about it. Uh, You just do it. And so uh, I'm asking you to find something. Spend the next uh, day or two asking God, God, what has taken up too much space in my life? What can I give up? What can I set aside? And then what do I need to do to replace it? How can I be prepared? There's a lot of uh, Lenten uh, guides and uh, uh, devotionals. There's a lot of special prayers and apps. And there's a lot of tools and resources if you'll go find those. 
But the main point is, can we together as a church till, the, till our soil? And then what does that look like? If collectively we're all having our soil tilled and we're having nutrients added, what is God gonna do on the back end of that? If we'll be willing to discipline ourselves here and now, give up the good for sake of laying hold of something better, what does it look like for God to move in our hearts and our church uh, moving forward? And so I'm inviting you into this. It's not a diet, it's a practice. And uh, so whatever that looks, whether that's television or media or social media or or whatever that looks like, you can't fast church, I want you here, but find something. Find something that's taking from you and not giving enough back and let's turn that over to the Lord. And over the next 40 days, let's watch and see how God moves in us in a unique way. And so that's my prayer uh, for us today. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we're in this space and we're inviting you to speak to us uh, individually. Show us something or some things in our life that may be taking from us, that may be consuming too much of our time. And give us the strength and the fortitude to set those things aside for a time so that we may spend more time with you. God, we thank you that you love us and you care for us and that you are willing to uh, be the shepherd and guardian of our souls if we'll allow you to. So where we've taken control, where we've um, taken over, Father, may we give you surrender control back over to you, give give our lives back to you. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for this beautiful season of Lent which invites us into doing the hard work that we know we need to do but often regret doing or don't regret doing but we neglect doing rather. So, Father, may we find strength in doing this together. So we praise you and we thank you for the season that's to come. May it be beautiful and life-giving for us. We thank you in Jesus' name.